Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're here with Dr. Crystal Walker, Vice President of Employee Wellbeing at Sweetwater, the number one e-commerce provider of music instruments and audio gear in the United States. With nearly two decades of experience in a number of HR and business leadership roles, Dr. Walker is an expert in personal and professional development, the track record of transforming high-performing cultures. Dr. Walker, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Hey, Josh. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate you. Well, it's so great to have you on here, and I'm excited to talk so much about employee culture, employee well-being, especially as we are in Mental Health Awareness Month being May 2022. But before we jump into that conversation, I'd love to learn more about you and your career path and what really led you to pursuing a career in human resources. Yeah, so it's been an interesting journey. Uh, I kind of started my career off when I was 19 years old as a receptionist for a finance company in Redondo Beach, California. Originally born and raised in California, love everything about it except the cost of living and how, (laughs) how overpopulated it's become over the last few years. But I started out there. I've always been privileged to work in the actual company with Uh, the highest level of leadership. So for that particular organization, I worked with the owner of the company, who I believe is still very active within the organization overall. And then I I took on a number of administrative assistant and executive assistant roles. I found myself doing property management for about four years, where I kind of got my first taste of training. I did some sales and soft skills and customer service type training with that organization. Um, I did that while I was pursuing my undergraduate and graduate degrees, and then I began my journey toward my doctorate degree in management and organizational leadership. And I got the taste of just kind of training, and I realized there is something here that I absolutely love. I transitioned into a role for 10 years where I was a university professor. I taught at Woodbury University and Springfield College, um, both graduate and undergraduate courses, And there was just something about the transformation that took place in the classroom that I absolutely loved. And aside from negotiating contracts every year for my pay to support my growing family, I probably would have still been in that space. But I decided, you know what, I'd love to transition back into the corporate arena, but I want to do something along the lines of training. And so I had transitioned over into a corporate training role for a nonprofit organization, and I did that for about 18 months. And then I got my first opportunity to be, and, and this was actually part of the HR team, got my first opportunity to be a manager of leadership development training with another large retail organization. That career quickly exploded into the opportunity to do a little bit more. And so I was promoted into a director of professional development role. And then shortly after that, promoted into a director of organizational development role. And again, all of these career paths took place within the realm of the HR team overall. And so Not only did I get the exposure to human resources and I can continue training and leveraging my training skills, but I also had an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into performance management, talent management, diversity, equity, and inclusion, employee engagement overall, which has been very interesting. And I think they all make up the whole person. 
And then more recently, um, I had started consulting back in the beginning of 2019. I did that for about maybe a year and a half, two years. Um, my family and I had relocated to Las Vegas, Nevada, and really were planning on just kind of setting up shop there. We were looking for homes to purchase. And then I got the call from Sweetwater who reached out to me via LinkedIn and said, hey, we've just created this brand new vice president of employee well-being role. And we're looking for someone who not only can help us manage and create our well-being vision, but also kind of leverage some of the existing skills that you have uh, in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion and soft skills training and development. So I, I got that call back in October 2020. Uh, I was made an offer after spending five days here on this beautiful campus here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, meeting with the owner and the founder of Sweetwater, as well as our chief people officer. And we just had some really good conversations around some of their vision regarding well-being and wellness and them learning a little bit more about my background and my story. And after, again, spending five days here, I by the time I got off the plane back in Vegas, I had an offer in my inbox. And before you knew it, I was loading up and preparing to move to Fort Wayne, Indiana. I've been here now for about 16 months, just under uh, a year and a half. And it's been an absolutely amazing ride. Okay. That is a great ride. And that is a, a very <laughs> unique ride too. Again, moving from California to Vegas to Indiana, a, a bit colder for you, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a definitely a unique path. And again, along the way, you learn so much just about the employee experience, about what it means for employee well-being. And again, all those lead you to this career that you've now pursued in human resources. And again, I love hearing just the career paths because no one has the same path to getting there. No. Um, but again, all really working for the same cause of building that great employee experience. So as mentioned at the top, we're recording this now in May 2022. We'll be releasing this in May as well. And that's Mental Health Awareness Month. So how would you describe employee wellness in the workplace in 2022? Well, I'll tell you, Josh, it's, it's very different than it has been in previous years. In fact, when I came on board in December 2020, one of the first questions that I was asked often was, how do you define well-being, wellness overall? And I'll tell you, at that time, my answer was simple. You know, it's about creating and leveraging balance between your personal and professional lives. But man, that's a loaded question <laughs> and such a very broad sort of rhetorical definition. Also, I can tell you in 2022 now, it is about so much more than just balancing between your personal and professional lives. In my opinion, it is about caring for the whole person. And so we've created a holistic approach to employee well-being, how we see the whole person so that they're able to strengthen their mental health. And so we tend to focus on mental health, we focus on physical health, we focus on financial health, we focus on social or relational health, and we also focus on professional health. And I think mental health is pretty self-explanatory. There's been a lot of literature, especially over the last couple of years, of how organizations are doing a lot to remove the stigma around mental health. But we also believe that you know, if your mental health is not intact, then that's going to ultimately impact your physical health. If you're not financially secured or you don't have a real vision around how you manage your finances or if there's a lack somewhere, that's going to ultimately impact your mental health, which then again, in terms, impact your physical health. But then these other two last phases or, or spheres that we choose to focus on at Sweetwater is social health and professional health. And we believe, especially coming out, I guess we're coming out of a global pandemic, like where are we really in this process now, right? But we believe that giving a lot of just the, the governance around the pandemic, the, the isolation, 
uh, people losing their loved ones and not being able to properly grieve them appropriately, those life factors automatically flow into your professional life. And so we believe in creating opportunities to really make a positive impact on our employees' social health. And so that may mean you know, creating lunch and learn opportunities. In fact, we're in a series right now of 21 Days of Mental Health Awareness here at Sweetwater. That's an initiative that we were super intentional about. And during our first week, we created this sweet speed lunch and learn opportunity where we grouped our employees and um, and we allowed them to just kind of meet and talk organically, cross-departmentally, and ask questions. We had a couple of icebreaker questions that employees can use as sort of discussion prompters. But the magic that happened within that hour and us being able to see employees engage organically about topics that range from work to music to what they like to do in their spread, it was absolutely amazing. That's so great. Yeah, we pride ourselves on being able to create those avenues, whether it be through events like that or the music events that we're privileged to be able to have here on campus just because of our brand and who we are the music events that occur within the community. Uh, We partner with the city overall, the city of Fort Wayne, who has an amazing onboarding program for individuals who are relocating here from other parts of the country. So we're really big on social health. And then we also are big on professional health. And that is creating opportunities for our employees to continue to learn, grow, and develop. In an ever-changing world where, you know, if nothing else is constant, it certainly is change, right? (laughs) So how do we intentionally create opportunities for our folks to continue to learn, grow, and develop? Whether it be through job-specific training, whether it be through soft skills training, whether it be through um, career pathing opportunities, special projects. Uh, We have a manager development program that we put all of our uh, newly promoted, newly hired and existing managers through just to make sure that we're all speaking the same language as it relates to culture and, and our company and what set us up for success over the last 40 plus years. And all of that, I'm sure this was a very long answer, but all of that is how we define wellness. And so, you know, going back to your original ask, you know, how do you define it now? What does it look like in the workplace now in 2022, May of 2022? I think it's very holistic. And whether it's the five elements that I just laid out or for anyone else who's listening, if there is something else that's culturally appropriate for you to be able to throw in your definition of wellness and well-being, I think it's certainly welcomed. That's such a great answer and gives so much to dig into now too. I think the first thing that jumped out at me was acknowledging that it's not just mental and physical wellness that you're looking at. No. There's five at least components that you could really look at to play into the holistic approach of wellness. I mean, they're all interconnected, right? It's not that one can be strong and the other struggling. They all really have to work in tandem together for the employee experience to build that great wellness program. And I think acknowledging that and being aware of that is such a great first step. And look, you've been with Sweetwater now, as you mentioned, since October 2020. So you've been able to see really that shift in real time as so many of us are learning the other components of true wellness experience, right? And, And a wellness program that it's not just what was maybe once physical health. Physical wellness was the focus of so many programs at organizations. We're now stepping back and saying, hey, what are the other pieces playing into well-being? Yeah. And I agree. I think people want to perform well. They want to do their best. Life happens as we all know it, and we're not excluded from life (laughs) on any day with any circumstance, right? Any one of us can find ourselves in a situation where we're we're just vulnerable because we're experiencing life. One thing that I love about the culture here at Sweetwater is we deem proudly to be a culture of high performance. 
right? And so we look at that professional health is really key for us too, because we unapologetically have a culture of high performers and people are really, really smart and creative. And oftentimes they don't know when to tap out for their own well-being. Right. And so our goal is, and, and part of my focus has been, how do we balance that? How do we empower people to keep performing at their best, to keep bringing their A game, but also pause for a moment when they feel the need to, not necessarily when we deem appropriate, right? Because we all have different levels of capacity and tolerance and things that, you know, we just know how to navigate through. And so we make it very welcoming for our employees to both perform at their highest level, but then also take care of themselves in the process. Right. That's acknowledging the challenge of burnout that so many teams are navigating, trying to understand how do we best create that environment for employees where they can recognize burnout, they can avoid burnout and often overcome that. And I really love what you mentioned too about creating upscaling opportunities and training opportunities for your workforce that can help continue to build employees and build their skill set so that they can learn to either better manage their day-to-day responsibilities. So that could be time management courses, that could be courses in leadership, but also giving opportunities to advance and grow their careers, which in turn can then help avoid malaise in your current position or feeling like you're kind of stuck in your one position, you're continuing to grow your career. You're giving you that path to developing, which can help build a better positive experience for the overall employee. That's exactly right. What I really like too, is what you mentioned about building that experience of giving back to the community and building more interpersonal experiences within the employees at Sweetwater not just working on the task at hand, but having conversations about music, about pop culture, as well as corporate culture and creating a great employee experience. Now, employee experience is something that's really being seen as a top priority for a lot of teams going into 2022. So why does the employee experience need to be a top priority for human resources teams and leadership teams in this modern era? Well, first of all, I want to just kind of unpack how I define the employee experience overall. Let's do it. I am a big proponent of if you really want to create an amazing employee experience, you have to be very intentional about creating and being intentional about opportunities within the employee life cycle. And if you were to Google the employee life cycle or talent life cycles, you'll find dozens of different examples of what uh, scholars have put together and how they personally defined it overall. The Dr. Crystal Walker version (laughs) of the employee life cycle includes five phases. That is pre-boarding, that's onboarding, that is inboarding, offboarding, and reboarding. And pre-boarding, I would define as any of those activities or events that typically occur prior to someone joining your company. So we all know that's that's about brand. That's about what's the company doing to really attract the talent that they're seeking out. Um, And then the onboarding phase is those activities, events that occur between day one and I would say roughly day 90, right? Uh, But the onboarding stage can be, it can vary from one company to another. Some companies will declare it as 30 days. It takes about 30 days to get ramped up, 60 days, 90 days, six months I've seen in some cases, and even a year in some cases. It really just depends on the company, the role, and how that culture is set up. And then there's this very interesting stage that I like to define as the inboarding stage. And this is the stage where the employee has gone through whatever training that they need to go through to be set up successfully in their job. 
success has been appropriately defined between their pre-boarding and onboarding stages. They've integrated well within the culture of the company. They understand what stakeholders they're, they're going to be responsible for engaging with. And now they're just kind of coming in, doing their work. And I, I like to say that this is the stage where organizations really need to be focused on retention and engagement, because that's really what it's about. And then there's that offboarding stage where an employee decides to leave perhaps the company or the team. And that's what I love about this cycle, because it can be used internally or externally, as in if someone is joining your company for the first time, or if they're navigating these stages because they're just being promoted to or moving for a career opportunity within an existing team. So we know individuals leave organizations for a number of reasons, whether it be retirement, whether it be a seasonal part-time role, whether it be because they found something else. But how do you cultivate that experience so you're uh, managing the appropriate knowledge that needs to be shared and promoted down within the organization, especially for those long-tenured employees who've been with organizations 20, 30 years. Most of what they've learned and what they've done and how they've been able to add an impact to the company is probably all saved in their minds or in their heads. They may not necessarily have documented processes for how those things work, but it's important that you cherish that information while you have it so that that continued to support the organization's legacy overall. And then more interestingly is this reboarding phase. And I like to look at reboarding from two perspectives. First, And we all saw with the pandemic where organizations were required to shut down, government orders shut down, and now we have to bring our folks back into the organization under this new norm. What does that reboarding process look like and feel like? What's different? What's changed, right? And then the second perspective that I like to use when it comes to defining reboarding is, let's say nothing has changed within the organization, but perhaps leadership, right? Maybe the company, the mission, all of that is the same. But now we have new leadership who may come in with their own specific vision regarding how their departments or teams should be ran to achieve the level of success it desires. And so perhaps in the same way you would host a general orientation for those individuals who are going to be onboarding your company or team for the first time, you may want to create some sort of a reboarding activity to just realign employees with how they're thinking about the business moving forward. I've seen companies take advantage of this, perhaps when they've gone through some sort of a merger or acquisition, or if employees have been out for a long period of time, whether it's FMLA, whether it's, you know, a long vacation, whether it's whatever, you know, they come back in and there's just that acclimation period that I believe that if you really want to create an amazing employee experience, you can't ignore it. And the thing that I'll also add, Josh, is it's important to not only think about these five phases, but who are the stakeholders that need to be involved, right? Right. The company in itself serves as a stakeholder. The HR team is going to serve as a stakeholder. The employee is going to serve as a stakeholder. And then the employee's hiring manager, as well as the teams that they're going to be required to engage with. So who are the stakeholders? What are the phases? Who are the stakeholders? And then at the very least, what training is required across all those stages? What needs to be communicated across all those stages? And what policies, procedures, protocol, or practices, I like to identify those as the four Ps, what what needs to be communicated explicitly during each one of those stages? Now, you'll find some information is transformative which it can, it can or universal, which it can play out at every phase. 
But again, if we're thinking about creating amazing employee experiences, if I'm promoting over to another team, if I'm having individuals from other teams promote onto my team, the experience should feel just as amazing as it did when they joined the company for the first time. In fact, I believe an employee's highest level of engagement is either when they join a company for the first time, they're promoted into a role that they desire to be promoted into, or when they've moved on to a new team and they have an opportunity to sort of level set and reset. Absolutely. And so if you capitalize on those moments by thinking about the employee life cycle overall, like what specific phases will they find themselves in that we as an organization, as an HR team need to help support, then that, in my opinion, inevitably leads to an amazing employee experience. That's so great. Taking advantage of those first 60 days or first 90 days of an employee joining a new team, a new group, so smart. That's something I always relay to my team members whenever I've brought in a new member of my team to say, hey, I want to take advantage of this new period. You're going to see things that the rest of the group may overlook because it's just part of the process and it just becomes accepted. That newness and that opportunity to say, hey, call out things that don't make sense to you, I think are so smart for teams to take advantage of that and really be intentional to say, hey, I want to hear from you in these first 60, 90 days and cultivate from there. I love the inboarding concept too. Um, I think so much is focused on onboarding, but what about that process after the newness is worn off and you're actually into the rotation? That's right. And making sure that, that you're still cultivating the experience in that point is great. And then the offboarding piece too, I think is so critical in saying, yeah, look, someone may leave the company. They also may come back and you want to create that positive feeling to know that good talent that leaves, they're advocating for your group and saying, hey, I had a great time at Sweetwater. I had a great time at this company. You should check them out and join them as well. And that ties back into the brand and the outward facing promotion that was the pre-boarding you were talking about too. It's all cyclical. That's exactly right. Yep. Those alliances are extremely important. Okay. So what do you think has changed in the employee experience since March, 2020? So much has changed in the workplace since March, 2020. What's changed in the employee experience? Well, I think the data speaks for itself. We're seeing in all sort of the major journals and the publications that people are in this, whether you choose to call it the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the great reorganization, I've heard it named quite a few things, but I think we are seeing globally that people are looking for a reset. They're looking for an opportunity to reestablish and rebrand themselves. They're looking for employees, or I'm sorry, employers who are dedicated to creating a culture that's going to support them and their overall well being overall. And so, from an HR perspective, that requires us to be a little bit more intentional about doing a little bit extra. Right. And so we were creating amazing employee experiences before. How can we take it up a notch? And so that may look like, again, if we go back and revisit that employee life cycle, if your traditional onboarding look like, hey, day one HR orientation, you know, first two, three weeks you get training and you get your workspace or your office and you're just kind of handed off. We should definitely be doing a little bit more. Perhaps we should be looking at buddy systems. We should be looking at uh, really clearly defining what success looks like from day one and be intentional about building an official onboarding plan that makes sense, that resonates 
with the employee. And listen to this, catch this, Josh. <laughs> that aligns with the job description that we posted. Like how many times have we seen, oh my God, this is an amazing experience. And you get there and it's completely different and you're thrown off and you're trying to make the best of it because... Um, you know, you're here, you've put in all of the work that was necessary to get the job or to recruit the employee, but there's just this lack of alignment. Right. And so, you know, those are just, those are small things that I feel like organizations owe to its employees in order to create uh, those amazing experiences. I think we're seeing now we have choices, right? At every level within the organization, we have choices. Obviously, hybrid work schedules are becoming much more attractive, completely remote work schedules are becoming much more attractive. And so we're if we're inviting people to come uh, to our respective workplaces and work, man, we have to have something that's going to be captivating their interests. Otherwise, we run the risk of losing them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a brand new challenge. I, I love what you said there too about making sure the job is actually what you presented yeah. in the first place too. I think we've all been there too where we entered into a job and it's like, oh, this is what I'm working on now. This is <laughs> this is the position. Now I see it. Now that I'm in it, yeah. you get a new understanding. But I think, yeah, again, creating that experience that, that really aligns with the employee expectations and creates that positive momentum is so crucial because of just how volatile talent is right now. That's exactly right. And, and I want to be clear on this also. It's totally okay to shift, especially if you you hire talent and they just they perform well beyond expectations, right? You realize the capacity for which you hired them for, they can certainly take on more, they have a desire to take on more, they can add value in other ways. That's fine, but again, that pre-boarding and onboarding phase is kind of sacred. Right. So at the very least, you want to make sure that whatever you promise, you're able to deliver on that. Now, when you get into that inboarding stage where, again, it's about retention and engagement, if the employee is looking for more, if they're looking to take on more and those opportunities present themselves uh, because they also align with the business need, then that's great. It's okay to be a little bit more flexible in the inboarding stage. Me personally, I would just advise on doing a lot of that early shifting and, you know, getting so far off track from what was originally discussed in pre-boarding conversations during that pre-boarding and onboarding stage, because it can absolutely throw someone for a loop. And perhaps they may have the skills necessary, Josh, to be able to perform, but have they been integrated well enough into your culture to be able to know how to navigate organizational politics and all of those things that exist? They may not. And so while we may think we're setting them up for success, we could be doing the complete opposite. Yeah, you got to look at building this solid foundation for all employees where, again, that they do continue to grow. If you start them off on a faulty foundation, you're not setting them up for long-term success. That's right. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the HR Works podcast is brought to you by our friends at swag.com, the best place for swag. We've probably all received those corporate gifts and free swag in the past, but how much of that stuff do you actually end up keeping? And if you do, it probably sits in a pile along with other pens, stress balls, and notepads. So that, HR Works listeners, is why you need to check out swag.com for your next batch of company gifts and branded merchandise. It's the best place to buy custom gifts and swag that your teammates and clients will actually want to keep. Swag.com has some of the coolest and most unique customizable gifts that I haven't seen anywhere else. Items such as yoga mats, custom Apple AirPods, and even branded kayaks. 
Swag.com carries premium brands that we all know and love, such as North Face, Yeti, Nike, and more, and it's all customizable with your company's logo or artwork. You can even create custom swag boxes full of great branded items, all delivered in a fully unique box. And with Swag.com, you can store your swag in their warehouse and ship to individual addresses or send in bulk to one single location and manage it all from their free-to-use, easy online portal. So here's the deal. Go to swag.com today for the perfect swag and custom gifts for your company. Right now, I have a special offer to help get you started. 10% off your order, but only when you go to swag.com slash hrworks and enter promo code hrworks10. Remember, for 10% off, go to swag.com slash hrworks and use the promo code hrworks10. number That's swag.com, the best place for swag. And now, back to our episode. So, Crystal, of these changes... Were there any that were kind of coming before March 2020, even something like remote work? I think we were building up to it, and then we just kind of stepped on the gas and accelerated it across the board where everyone was forced into it and figured, hey, this actually may be something we can do long term. But we were moving toward it. Were there any changes, though, that were unexpected that came out of left field? When you asked that question, that was the first thing that I thought about, like remote work. I remember just having conversations with colleagues and certain executives, and they were just totally against this idea of remote work because they couldn't get past the brick and mortar experience, right? But I think COVID showed us all that just for survival purposes, we have to be able to pivot. I think the other thing, it kind of happened a little bit after 2020, but the whole notion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? That's been a conversation. And I think what's disappointing even about that area of HR focus is it's been a thing, at least for the last 30 plus years. As long as we've had the civil rights movement, diversity, equity, and inclusion has been a thing within a workplace. I just don't think that we've given it the attention that it deserves. And I also think that we've made it more complicated than it was originally designed to be. But I am happy to see that just as a society, we're now vested in those type of discussions and that we've made that a part of our regular HR practice to ensure that we create work cultures that are truly inclusive, that are truly diverse, and that do provide employees the access, the equity that they need in order to be the best version of themselves. It's almost as if March 2020 forced everyone to stop and look at what was important in the employee experience and say, okay, we need to focus on, as you mentioned, diversity, equity, and inclusion, remote work or what hybrid work looks like or just flexibility at work. Employee wellness, back to that concept too, and really take more of a focus on what that means and where that falls in your corporate culture and in your priorities as a team. That's exactly right. I think we were we were on autopilot for a while, and I think people were just just you know just going and going with the flow and whatever the pretty thing is that we're going to focus on today, we're going to do that. But I think March 2020 was, in my opinion, the great reset for the world for us to really be a little bit more intentional about hey, what really is important. You know, as I mentioned, we every person that I know has experienced some form of a loss, whether it was the loss of a job, whether it was the loss of a loved one, where it was the loss of something that was pretty important to them. Even if it was a loss of their regular routine, they lost that and they right. had to determine what is it like to re-engage? What is it like to recreate, to think? I never, ever thought that I'd be in this place where I have now all of this time to sit and focus on what I really want as opposed to what society wants for me or what my employer wants for me. And I think we're just, we're experiencing that, Josh. We're experiencing the residue of that. In my opinion, that's not a bad thing at all, but we're, we're just, we're experiencing it in real time and there is no way to get around it. 
so many of us are re-onboarding really. We're yeah, that's exactly getting that. back into the mix. But so with that being said, and I think a lot of teams are and employees are starting to re-onboard back into what the new normal is. Mm-hmm. What do you see as some of the bigger challenges facing the employee experience in 2022 that organizations and their HR leaders need to be thinking about? I think that HR practitioners need to spend some time upskilling and reskilling as well and just becoming more of a student of their craft. For example, if you had a traditional focus on recruiting and that's your area of expertise, I think now's the time that we start to leverage those other areas of HR where we can become experts or where we can start to dip our toe into a little bit more so that we're a little bit more in tune with the employee experience overall and what they could be potentially looking for or missing. Like I mentioned, most of my HR career has been in performance management, talent development, learning and development, employee engagement, but I'm also been dipping my toe a little bit more into the employee relations aspect of it, especially because I've seen where mental health challenges can absolutely impact work performance, right? But again, how do I go into this as an expert on the conversation Um, still showing that I care and I'm empathetic towards the employee and what they're going through personally, but also maintaining a standard of excellence that we've worked so hard to create as an organization as it relates to performance and performance expectations. And so I feel like right now, the best way that we can sort of help cultivate this employee experience or navigate some of those challenges is to upskill in areas where we probably perhaps have not been as strong as we could have. I think there's a lot of opportunity, so much opportunity for HR professionals to dig in, to partner, to work um, cross-culturally, to really build relationships with stakeholders across the company. I'll say this, and then we can move on to the next question, that if you have ever worked in an HR bubble where you just kind of wanted to come in, put your head down and get your work done, this is not that time. Right. And I think most of our bubbles are being popped or we're being forced to come outside of our, our own personal silos within our HR work and really expand and come together collaboratively to create these experiences because they matter. Is there one skill that you're seeing a lot of teams maybe missing or overlooking? Maybe the employee experience, as you mentioned, could be probably one a lot of teams need to focus on. But is there one that sticks out where it's like, yeah, a lot of teams are missing the boat on being strong here with this skill set? I would say it's more of a consultative approach. So I think we have our work as practitioners. You know, if there's an area of HR that we typically focus on, it's great. But I think what can benefit us all is if we took on more of a consultative approach to really try to understand what challenges are people experiencing. And then from that, What are some of the themes that we're seeing that are continuing to emerge, even outside of some of the most trendy topics like well-being or D&I and all of those things that, that absolutely matter and that are shaping the employee experience overall? But what are just in your regular everyday setting, what are some of the emerging themes that continue to happen? And are you listening clearly enough? And then from that consultative approach, are you going back to reinvent whatever needs to be reinvented on your team? Are you rethinking, you know, your talent management strategy, your employee experience strategy, or are we just kind of getting caught up in doing the same thing day in and day out, hoping that it'll just disappear and that things will go back to pre-pandemic normal? I don't think we're ever going to see that. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think we will. And I, I think it's so smart to say that, yeah, there needs to be an adaptive approach too to understand that okay, you may have the process set out of how you want things to run. But understand as you get feedback from the employees, as you, like you said, take more of a consultant approach and see kind of how things are shifting, adapt and react to that and be intentional above all else. That's right. So let's say HR teams want to make a difference in their employee experience and just improve their overall workplace culture. Where's the first place they should start to get that going? I think data speaks volumes. <laughs> data has been something that we've relied on for a long time, just even prior to the pandemic. And I think data has the ability to tell a story. I think if an HR team can just take a moment, I understand things are super busy and, and we're one of the major stakeholders within an organization. But if we can step back and do a current state of the organization, meaning looking at exit interview data, employee engagement survey data, if we have that information available to us, performance review data, new hire onboarding and orientation data, any sort of data points that will give us a true feel for how employees are feeling. Uh, and that can be combined with, you know, intentional focus groups, one-on-one -on -one conversations. I learn a lot just by making myself available to talk to employees at every level within an organization to just have some coffee or tea with them and just say, hey, what's going on? You know, what's going on in your world? How are you doing? Really? <laughs> Not just the generic answer, but how are you doing really? You know, what keeps you coming back to work every single day, even on your most challenging days? You know, and oftentimes that conversation goes well beyond a paycheck. It's about the team experience. It's about the access that they have in order to make great things happen for people. It's about one of our core values or our five imperatives is wowing the customers. It's about the response and the personal level of fulfillment that they get every time they have an opportunity to wow a customer. And so I learn a lot just by way of staying connected, having a level of proximity to employees, truly exercising an open door policy and allowing folks to disrupt my day, for lack of better words, to come in and just talk to me about their experiences. And so I feel like as HR practitioners, if we can pause for a moment in the midst of our busyness and really just kind of get an understanding of where we are and whether we want to do that in the form of some sort of a, a half day or a full day retreat, whether we want to make it a quarterly exercise, whatever that looks like, I think it's important that we take the time to do that. And then once we have that data, really perform a SWOT analysis and understand what are our strengths as an organization uh, within the individual teams? What are our weaknesses that we absolutely need to make sure that we're addressing because it's killing the value that we could be potentially adding to the employee experiences? What opportunities do we have? And then what are some threats? If we don't make these changes, man, we're going to be in pretty bad shape, right. you know, pretty soon. And so I think if we can spend some time again, revisiting data, putting that data through a SWOT analysis, taking that information and creating some new pillars or some new strategies on what we want to do moving forward in the short term and in the long term, then that's a great place for us to start as we start to re-envision the employee experience, even in a time like this. That's such great advice. This is such a great experimental opportunity mm -hmm. right now for so many teams to, like you said, learn from the employee experience, learn from their employees as they come back and see what, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, mm -hmm. to plan your course going forward. That's right. No one knows what the right balance is yet, especially in a hybrid environment that so many teams are moving toward, what the right balance is, whether it's how many days a week, 
having full teams back in all together versus spreading them out, what that looks like. And I think there's so much that could be learned in these next like six months to a year even. Yeah. But that all starts with listening and just talking to your employees. I love hearing that you really lean into that open door policy because I think that's going to teach you so much about the employee experience just off feedback. That's right. And I think it's important to understand that even as you're gathering that feedback, there's a line that has to be or a standard that has to be established as well, because it's important that as HR practitioners to let employees know that we can't do everything right? We'll, we'll take your suggestions. We'll hear you out, but we also have a business to run. (laughs) Right. Right. And so I think right now we're, we're, we're getting so much advice and so many different, wonderful, amazing ideas of things that we should do, but we also want to make sure that those things are in alignment with the mission that we have as an organization overall. Right. And if they're totally not in alignment with the mission, then that's probably something that we're not going to make a priority. Part of our mission, fortunately for us, is to always do the right thing. And we always do the right thing by both our internal and external customers. So if it just makes sense, as this is something that we should be doing right now, because it will ensure that we are following and driving our mission accordingly, then yeah. But there are also certain things that as you go through this process of getting feedback from people, hear them out. But it's also important to be mindful that you're just not going to be able to adopt every decision and every great piece of wonderful feedback that they think that you should be doing. Right. Right. <laughs> here's here's who we are as, as a company. That's here's right. our mission statement. And yeah, they've got to coexist. The, That's right. What the employee wants and what the company wants and what the company is. Yep. And, and yeah, it's finding those connections when you can do them that, that are great opportunities. But at the end of the day, it's got to serve toward the mission statement as well. That's right. That's great. Well, look, we're here with Dr. Crystal Walker, Vice President of Employee Wellbeing at Sweetwater. Now, Dr. Crystal, we talked so much about what's changed in the employee experience over the last two years, but let's talk about you. What have you learned? What's changed in your employee experience and what's made you a better leader over the last two years? Oh my God, that's such a loaded question, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will tell you that I have learned that I'm just in a position in my life where I have accomplished a lot. I've been blessed. I've been fortunate to create some space as a thought leader and establish a brand where people now come to me for advice. People now come to me for wisdom. And one of the things that I have learned to really value is put myself in a position to give back. And I remember some of the struggles that I had early on in my career, even navigating you know, a lot of corporate spaces as a black female employee, you know, there were some very evident barriers that could have prevented me from being able to really navigate my career in the way that I wanted to. But I looked at those barriers as actually as bridges, as opposed to barriers. And obviously I made career choices that I thought was going to ultimately impact me my family, my own personal well-being, and I'm here at Sweetwater, and I absolutely love what I have an opportunity to do every day. I have mentored more people over the last two years than I ever have in my life. I have been a professional development coach for at least 15 years now in my career, but I've also have learned how to push people to the spotlight. I don't always have to be the person shining. I don't always have to be the person taking on this next big thing. If there is something that someone on my team can do and it's going to allow them to establish a brand and to be known as a thought leader in their respective spaces, then that's what I enjoy most. I'm learning how to be a great number two. 
That's great. Right. It's coaching. It's really being a player coach. You're still growing and advancing your career, but also coaching up those around you and giving equal opportunities there. And that's so crucial too, right? Looking back and remembering, okay, here's what helped me advance in my career. Mm -hmm. How can I give that and pay it forward? Yeah, that's exactly right. I've also learned how to be just so much more intentional about my own personal well-being. You know, unfortunately, last year, both my husband and I had some health complications that we are both fortunate enough to have gone through and healed from. But it's been it's been a ride where we've had to both ask ourselves, what is truly important in our lives? You know what I mean? It's not about being busy and doing stuff just to be doing stuff. What is the difference between what we like to refer to as, you know, those busy opportunities and then those true assignments that we know these are things that we should absolutely be doing because they are purpose-driven, they are intentional, and they're going to bless the masses as opposed to making us look good. Yeah, it's thinking about where you're focusing your energy. We only have so much energy to focus on and to give up, so it's figuring out where you want to put that. That's exactly right. So talking about just looking back and trying to help coach people up, what kind of advice were you given in your professional career as you've advanced that you could share with our audience of HR professionals One piece of advice that you just really think has helped you grow in your career that you think you could pay forward? Oh, man. Another loaded question, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I promise this is the last one. It's all good. good And only because there's so much. I mean, I've had some, some giants pour into me, both personally, professionally, and even spiritually, that have helped me be able to stand um, as a professional now in a post-pandemic era. And I would say that one of the best pieces of advice actually came from not someone who mentored me directly, but from a LinkedIn talent management conference. And her name is Carla Harris, an executive who wrote a book called Strategizing to Win. And in her book, she talked about Um, the difference between relationship currency and performance currency. And she, I mean, when she broke down that concept, it just made all the difference in the world to me in my career. But she talked about the difference between performance currency and relationship currency. And she talked about both being very important, but performance currency is what you needed to kind of get a quick win, if you will. If someone is asking you to do something, it's about exceeding their expectations, you know, all of the time. But one thing she mentioned with this performance currency concept is that it ultimately depreciates because people then expect that from you. Interesting. Right? So they know if Crystal is going to be given this job, not only is she going to kill it, she's going to knock it out of the park and she's going to exceed your expectations by far. And that that has now become my brand and people expect that of me. And so that's when you find yourself in situations where familiarity breeds contempt, right? We're no longer excited about this level of performance because we expect that of her, right? Right, right. So that performance currency will then ultimately depreciate. But then the other thing that I love, what she mentioned in the book was this concept of relationship currency and how that actually appreciates and it continues to appreciate because the more you become vested in building and nurturing relationships, the more you want to know someone just because you appreciate who they are, that takes every transactional performance engagement to a whole nother level because now there's context for just us as humans and how we choose to connect regardless of our cultural backgrounds and how different or alike we are. And I think that's been, again, among 
so many other different pieces of advice that I've gotten from the individuals who have shared them with me. That's the one that I'm thinking of right now. And that's, that's the a good one, one I feel like can also help us as HR practitioners as we continue to not only perform, but also build relationships and the work that we do every day. That's so smart. Thank you for sharing that, Crystal. So Crystal, as Vice President of Employee Wellbeing at Sweetwater, do you have anything you're excited about that you want to share with our audience, either at Sweetwater or personally, professionally? Yeah, we have so many exciting things that we have coming up here. As I mentioned, we're currently in our 21 Days of Mental Health Awareness Initiative. Uh, we have daily activities for every day in the month of May, everything from intentional journaling to lunch and learn sessions uh, facilitated by industry experts in the field of mental health and well-being. That's exciting. Uh, we're getting ready to gear up for our annual Gear Fest event that's happening next month in the month of June. Um, this year is going to be sort of a hybrid style where we'll have some virtual activity going on as well as some content creators that's going to be visiting us here on campus. And obviously our customers are always welcomed. I'm actually going to be presenting on a diversity council next month also with NAM, the National Associations of Music Merchants. And I'm going to be a part of a discussion where we talk about how important it is to prepare women for careers in the music industry. So I'm super excited about that opportunity. Oh, it's going to be in California. So I have an opportunity to go back and say hi to family who I haven't seen <laughs> at least over the last two years. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. We're also going to be rolling out some new DNI strategy and programming this year here at Sweetwater. I'm excited about that. Personally, I am just uh, trying to take a moment to pause. I like to give myself enough time to plan and think. So I'm already working on some important and some really cool stuff for 2023 for me in terms of my brand. So just excited about that. I would tell you all to follow me on LinkedIn. I am under the name of Dr. Crystal Walker. I tend to post a lot of exciting things there. Uh, if you're interested in connecting with me, if I said anything in this podcast that triggered your interest in any area, I'd love to have a conversation with you and just kind of see where the relationship goes from there. That's perfect. You got an exciting year coming up and Crystal will link to your LinkedIn through our page post as well. Just so again, any of our audience members that do want to reach out to you and connect with you, they can find you either through LinkedIn searching themselves or they can link through our site, but we'll be sure to give all those resources. But thank you again for that. That's great. So one last question before we wrap up here, Crystal, mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor. What is the first thing that gets you motivated to start your day? I thank God that I'm alive. Okay. <laughs> I thank Good God one. I'm alive. I have, you know, like I said, some loved ones and friends that I've lost over the last couple of years. And again, given my, my major health scare last year, I am so super intentional about um, showing gratitude, spending some time in the morning to just get myself together. Um, I like to do this thing that I refer to as gaining my mental protein, uh, where I try to listen to something positive or read something positive every morning before I come in and I do that to fill my cup, right? So I'm going to be pouring out every single day. I want to make sure that I have something to give. I like it. And so that is the thing that I do. That's the thing that kind of keeps me excited about coming in day in and day out. Um, we know HR can be very hard sometimes. It can be very challenging, but I believe it is super important that we express our gratitude and that we do something to fill our cup. Get that mental protein. I love it. <laughs> Dr. Crystal Walker, thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast. It was great having a conversation with you. It was great speaking about employee experience and just learning about your career journey as well. But again, thank you for coming on and hope to have you back soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Josh, for having me. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks. Take care. <laughs> All righty. 
Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.